Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 433. This week is Chavdal Tevis, the 210th anniversary of the Hilula Yorzeit, Histalkus of the Alter Rebbe, Sosapashas Vaera. So we'll be speaking about these matters, applying them to our personal lives. This program is dedicated by Moshe Tzipora Reitman in loving memory of Henya Fredel Bas Edel Bas Eidel on the occasion of her Shleshim on the 23rd of Tevis. So let's begin with Chavdal Tevis. Being that it's literally in the next few days, Chavdal Tevis is the day in Tovku Fayin Gimel, as I said, 210 years ago, when the Alter Rebbe's Neshama went upward, what we call a Histalkus, a Hilula. And as the Alter Rebbe himself says, in a Gersa Kedish, Simachav Zayin, Simachav Ches especially, that the day of a Yorzeit, a Hilula of a Tzadik, Kol all the work that he did on this earth, elevates and Pael Yeshua's Beket of Aretz. It affects salvations and redemptions down not just on earth but in the depths, even in the abyss of earth so it's a day that has tremendous power and the power of the Alter Rebbe's unique energy we know the Alter Rebbe was a Neshama Chadasha a new soul, a soul that had never come down before and indeed Alter Rebbe pioneered a new approach knew, of course, everything built on Torah, because everything, even the biggest chidushim, were given at Moshe, Mahar Sinai, but knew, on a revealed level, on all practical levels, chassidus chabad, taking chassidus and explaining it in Seichel Anushi, in a way that the mind, the human mind, and even the animal soul can understand, which really is the ultimate transformation, that even on a mundane level, we can appreciate godliness. The ultimate dirabetachtenim. Not just through shining a light from a higher place, but explaining it with examples. From my flesh I behold God. With examples that we all can relate to every person on their level to experience the divine, to experience a lukus in our personal lives. When Mashiach comes, will be v'nigla kveit Hashem Revelation of the divine, the divine, and and flesh for all called basar, as the Rebbe emphasizes, not just any basar, not just any, not just the eyes will see, but the eyes of not just the eyes of flesh, but the very flesh itself will perceive, with that resonating truth of only that only vision can can offer, the divine itself for all called So learning chsidis. And explaining it in a way that the basar itself, the flesh itself can understand. Godliness is exactly what the whole purpose of it is. Not just to have the, the divine revelation from above, but existence itself should be able to understand and speak that language. The ultimate fusion of heaven and earth, the ultimate fusion of tachtenim and alienim, that atzmus himself, atzmus himself, and have a dirbet tachtenim, a home, a comfortable environment for the highest levels of the divine in this world. So that's the essence of the Alter Rebbe 
in some, there's a much more that can be said. So in Chav all this comes together and affects us all. Even in our pl- places where we are in our darkest moments. Essentially, the theme of this year's 13th chapter, in Basilegani, Yudzfat is coming in a few weeks. So every year corresponds to another chapter of the 20 chapters of the Hemshech, the last one published of the Friedrich Rebbe, and the first one the Rebbe delivered, and every year we discuss the corresponding chapter. So this year's chapter is retains its insof quality, its infinite divine quality, without being diluted, even in the lowest places, even even in pari, as he describes there. So we'll, of course, discuss the Maimon as we get closer to your Shvat, but I've also began giving classes in it, and I'd like to share that with you. If you go to chsidisapply.com slash yurtshvat, you'll find the first two parts of a four or five part series that I've been teaching Basilegani this year's 13th chapter and the Rebbe's Maimer that he delivered in Tovshin Yud Gimel, in Tovshin Chav Gimel, I should say, 1963, and Tovshin Mem Gimel in 1983. So check it out, chsidisapply.com slash you could find, once you're we're talking about chassidahsupply.com, you'll find many other resources, including the archives of all these programs, the questions, that, the, uh, the form that you can submit any anonymous question, and plenty of other materials. Check it out, chassidahsupply.com. Okay, so that's the theme, and that's the combination, and that's also hinted to in the Altar of his name, Shneir Zalman, Shnei Oyer, the two lights of Teira, Eir HaNigla, Eir and the Tanya and the Chassidus in general that Alter Rebbe delivered and coming together in one name, Shnei Oyer, and Zalman letters Lizman. So it's not just the Oyer. The Oyer comes down and permeates and infuses and is integrated within Zman. And Zman, time, comes together with Malkim, Zman and Malkim of this world. There you see in the Alter Rebbe's name also these two extremes. The highest levels of the divine Torah, Torah Eir, Shnei Eir, being brought into Lizman, into time and space, as even the animal soul can relate. So that's a summation of the theme of Chavdal Tevis. As I said, there's many ways to discuss the Alter Rebbe. Just giving one overview that its practical application to us is that we can experience even in a palpable way, the divine. That when you look at your own very body, your own flesh, your, your faculties, whether it's your eyes, your ears, your hands, your arms, your legs, these are all created in the divine image. But it's not just the soul, but even the very body can serve as an example to explain the deepest concepts of Chassidus, as we see the Alter Rebbe does takes the physical body and explains how every part of the body corresponds to another spiritual level. Every one of the faculties in the Shtal Shul Mehen in chapter 3 in Tanya, every one of our ten faculties evolves from the ten spheres, spiritual spheres, all the way back to the attributes of the divine attributes of Atsilas and higher. So it's taking our very beings, or including our physical beings and our psyches and our very reality on this earth, and turning it into a channel for godliness. 
And that's our Avaidah. So what lessons do we learn from the Alter Rebbe's Hilul on this day? We learn, number one, that the Alter Rebbe's Chiddush, what the Alter Rebbe contributed, is something that is the greatest gift he's given us. But making it accessible that we, no matter what level you are, up to that point, you have to be at a certain level to be able to receive Primus Satera. Obviously, it continued to be, it started becoming more accessible. Once that Rizal said, Mitzvah legalizes it's a mitzvah now to reveal this secret wisdom that was always kept very confidential and very private. Only individuals, Yechides Gula, and that accelerated when the Balsham heard from Mashiach, when your wellsprings will spread outward, outward, not inward, outward, that's when Mashiach will come. And the Alter Rebbe took it to the next level in Chabad, explaining it in Chabad, in a Chabad, not just of the divine soul, Chabad of the Nefesh Shalikis, but also Chabad of the animal soul, Nefesh Habams. And of course, the Rabbeim afterwards, his successors continued developing it till the seventh generation, the Rebbe's seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe, V'shachanti B'Seichem, as Basiligani explains, will bring the Geula, and the full fruition of the Alakus of Chassidus into this world in a permanent way. A world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. So on this day of Chavdal Tevis, all this Aved of the Alter Rebbe comes together and impacts us even in Matamata Adin Tachlis, even Bekerva Aretz. And Yeshuas, Yeshuas' levels, the highest levels, Shin Ayin Hurin, 370 energies of Arich and Atik of Keser, taking the highest levels of Keser, of Shneir, and bring it into Lizman, into Malchus, all the way into the lowest levels, Bikereva Oritz. Okay. So now we have a bunch of questions that came in Chavdala Tevis connected to that. This year, as well as previous years, as I mentioned many times, there are many questions that are coming in faster than I can address them. But as I always glean at the promise, we'll try to attempt to answer all of them. And so I'm also collecting some of the questions that came in in previous years. So it's never too late. They're still relevant. And we'll conclude them all in the discussion here about Chavdal Tevis. Very interesting questions, interesting topics. And we'll continue also with uh, some related themes as well as I said before, Pasha Ve'era, which is also, we live with the times in this, uh, with this week. Okay. So we all know the famous story, which of course was the cause, the natural cause for the Alter Rebbe's untimely passing was Napoleon. The Franco-Russo war was, wait, was raging and the Alter Rebbe had to escape and due to Napoleon, it caused the Alter Rebbe to pass away. That's what it tells us, what the Rebbeim tell us. We find that in a number of places. The truth is, it says that the Alter Rebbe, earlier there was already a Gzeda, and that's why the Alter Rebbe's daughter, Dvaraleya, gave her life for the Alter Rebbe and gave him more years. But still, Tovkufay and Gimel was finally the time when the Abishta took the Alter Rebbe. And it was ostensibly connected to Napoleon. What does that mean? Because Napoleon represented something that Al-Tareb actually went to war against. So the famous story, let's tell the story and then we'll go through the questions. 
was during that year, it was the year 1812, so Chavdal Atavis would be the Estalkos. But Rosh Hashanah that year, so the Tzadikim knew that Rosh Hashanah designates the destiny of nations. The destiny of nations are determined. There was a disagreement among the Rabbein Tzadikim during the time. Some felt it would be better for the Jews that France, Napoleon of France, should win the war against Tsar Alexander of Russia. It would make life easier materially for the Jewish people. The oppression, the, the poverty was terrible in the, in the, in the Russian, in Russia at the time. The Altarebbe felt, no, it may be better for them materially, but spiritually, Napoleon was godless. And his preaching of freedom and fraternity was freedom from God. And he felt that it would compromise spiritually the Jewish people. So he supported that Alexander should win the, the war. That's indeed what happened. So the story goes that that Rosh Hashanah Tov Kufayin Kimon, Zaltarebbe didn't wait till Kiyashay for the regular time at the end of Shachris after Kriya Satera, made a meaning right in the morning, as soon as dawn broke, as soon as halachically you could blow shofar, and he blew shofar with the intention the Kavona al Bendinus Bayomar, the Kavona that Russia should win the battle. When another tzaddi came to blow shefer later, he sensed already that the decree was determined, in heaven was determined that Russia should win the war. He said the expression, the litvak at shenarizgichapt. They called al Rebbe the litvak. The Rebbe told the story, I remember Simchas Tehidim and Dalad, and other times. And of course it represents a very profound concept. Because as I'm going to read now some questions, what was wrong with Napoleon winning the war? And let Teirachsidis bring Ruchnius and godliness even in such a God-forsaken place. So let me read a few of the questions and then we'll address this topic. But that's the story. And the Istalkas of the Alter Rebbe was, as he was running, he was passed away in Kfar Piena, but was on his way escaping Napoleon. And there are stories that Napoleon was looking for him, etc., etc., so clearly there was something deeper going on here. So let's first read some of the questions. Why did Al-Tareb oppose Napoleon instead of trying to transform the Western world? So someone writes like this. What was the source of the dispute between Al-Tareb and Napoleon? We are told Al-Tareb felt that if Napoleon won, that the Jewish community would have more freedoms, which unfortunately might include more opportunity to do, to go against God. But isn't that specifically why the Alter Rebbe published Secrets of Chassidus and Netanya? The Alter Rebbe foresaw the, challenge, the challenges that the modern world and its new freedoms would pose, and he gave us Netanya to be able to have the energy to offset and defeat those challenges. So if that's the case, why would it make a difference if Napoleon or Alexander would win? With the power of the Tanya and Chassidus, we would never be in peril regardless of who won. Another person writes, The stories we are taught in our community is that the Alter Rebbe passed away while running away from Napoleon. I was told in Yeshiva that the Alter Rebbe publicly opposed Napoleon because he felt the freedoms Napoleon was offering would be dangerous because with too much free choice, some chassidim might wrongfully choose pursuing the secular arts and secular education instead of Torah learning. But thinking about it, the Alter Rebbe's opinion doesn't, make, doesn't seem to make sense and needs clarifying. If the idea of the bigger the challenges, the bigger the reward, 
and it's our job to reveal godliness, even in the lowest realms, it would make more sense to have Napoleon and his freedoms offered, and then when someone makes the right choice by going to shul instead of the theater, or by buying a safe instead of a secular book, then a deeper level of godliness can be revealed. Please explain. And thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, for your amazing Torah classes, and if Napoleon were in charge today, offering secular freedoms, I would still choose to watch your Sunday night chassidus class instead of Napoleon's Sunday night at the opera. Okay. Is it lush and harder to say that if Napoleon wins and takes over the Jews, that over the Jews will abandon their faith under his rule? That's not a nice thing to say about our, your fellow Jews. Shouldn't Altareb have been more optimistic and understood the power of the Neshama to prevail? Okay. So, many different details to the question. Very good questions. And indeed, isn't that what the tailor, that's why we're in the world, this world. To make a dir betachten. To insulate ourselves. We can stay in Gan Eden, in the heavenly, in the heavenly realms. And the soul there has no challenges. The whole point is to come down, you need this in Shem as Al-Tareb himself elaborates. But if you think about it, the answer is also quite obvious. Of course the Kavon is to transform the world, but it happens in stages. For example, why are we born at one years old? You're not going to send a child out to go transform the world. First, they need to be protected and nurtured and educated and trained like soldiers in the military. First you train them before you send them to battle. Matantata didn't happen the first day of creation. It happened 26 generations later. Because there needed to be a training, there needed to be a preparation, priming the world. And then comes Matantata. And even Matantata didn't bring Mashiach. It gave the power to transform Tachtenim, Yalal Alyenim. Up till that point there was a schism that separated the spiritual and the material. But it gave the power, and then a few thousand years later, Mashiach, we, the hope was that Mashiach would come right away. But we see, in actuality, it took more time. First base Amidah, second base Amidah. So there's a requirement for Aveda Momata Lamaila, which is in stages. And indeed, we see it actually in a story in the Bible, the Torah. And I want to quote a classic sikha from the Rebbe, where he also brings this story about the Alter Rebbe, Napoleon, and Alexander, one of the most important sikhs ever, in my humble opinion, classic, that puts into context all of history. Where the Rebbe brings the story with the Alta Rebbe opposing Napoleon and supporting Alexander, and that says something which is unprecedented. He says that was then, time of the Alta Rebbe. But today we can go into France into the Western world and not be concerned because now we're ready. And the Rebbe brings an example. Example. He brings a precedent for that. Chassidus says, in Tereir Vayishlach, in Tereir Schaim Vayishlach, that after Yaakov finished 20 years of hard work in refining the world in Choron, under Lovan, that was the work he did as a shepherd with the sheep of Lovan. This was a deep Aveda. He built his family, now he's coming back, and he felt and was that maybe Esau, who was his arch enemy initially, was refined already and we can march toward Mashiach. That's what it says in Chassidus. That the Birurim were finished. The Rebbe quotes it quite often. 
But then he sent Vayishlach Malachim, he sent his messengers, the angels, and they came back and says, and said that Esav is marching with 400 men. So he realized he wasn't ready yet. And then when they finally reconcile, and the different opinions, total reconciliation, or not total, what does Esav say to Yaakov? Why don't you come live side by side with me? Let us live side by side. What does Yaakov respond? Not yet. You go ahead, and we will follow slowly. The children are young. The sheep are tender. We're not ready yet. Rashi right away says, what is he again deceiving Esau? He knows that he's not coming to live by Esau. He's going back to live in Eretz Canaan. By Yeshev, Yaakov Eretz Canaan. So why is he telling them that? So Rashi says, no, because ultimately that is what's going to happen. This end of Sefer Avadja, the end of Avadja says, that we will live side by side and Esau will be transformed. It's just a matter of time. He knew then of not ready yet. So the Rebbe compared it. When the Alta Rebbe was living and there was the Russian-Franco war and the world was changing, a world that was oppressing Jews, starting from Golis Mitzrayim and all the other Golias, ultimately Golis Edem, after the destruction of the Second Temple. So obviously the world was not ready yet for transformation. When things started changing, time of the Alter Rebbe, and the winds of freedom began to blow through Europe and the United States, offering Jews new freedoms, but the children are too young and the sheep are too tender. You give them the freedoms and they're still young, they won't know how to deal with it. And therefore the Alter Rebbe felt that even though physically it would be easier, but spiritually we weren't, we weren't mature enough to deal with, this, with the new, these new freedoms. Freedom is a beautiful blessing. That's not the issue. But you have enough of God within you to deal with those freedoms because prosperity brings its own challenges. Apathy, comfort zones, indifference, sense of entitlement. Look what happened. Even with Napoleon losing the war, look what assimilation did, how it ravaged the Jewish people. And assimilation was an outgrowth of modern world. It didn't exist in the time of real oppression. Al-Tareb in his wisdom and vision understood that. Now that was the end of the story. No, we're not ready yet. Like Yaakov said to Esau, we're not ready to live by Edom. Edom is France, the Western world. But now the Rebbe comes in by Yeshav Tafshinun Beis and says, now, after seven generations, we've matured, we've grown, Chassidus has developed, we've come to the United States, a country that also offers freedoms, but not godless freedoms. In God we trust and the other principles. We now have the power to take the Chassidus that the Alter Rebbe taught, exactly as you wrote, Tanya and Chassidus, and now we have the ability to enter. And the Rebbe speaks about how Chassidim was sent to France. He even alludes to the, the Rebbe himself and the Rebbe coming to France. And Chassidus was published there. And work was done there. Now we have the power to transform Edem, Esau, Tsarfas, which is the same letters as Farazta, as the Rebbe explains. And he even explains why he taught the Nigan the French anthem in Tav Shalom Adal at Simchas Teda, 1973 Simchas Teda, 
The Rebbe took the anthem, which was an aggressive anthem, represented the exact opposite of God. And what did he turn it into? A nigan, haderes v'amuna. Haderes v'amuna l'chai elohamim. Habina v'abrachel l'chai elohamim. L'chai elohamim. To God. He explained because now we could take and draw out the sparks and transform them toward Kedusha. And that's why the Negan changed. Look, look at the Sikha by Yeshiv Tovshin and Beis, where the Rebbe elaborates. And the Rebbe is a continuation of the Alter Rebbe. So it fits the Derashvi. Not like some think that the Alter Rebbe had a different attitude than the Rebbe. No. It's just a matter of time. The Alter Rebbe, the Rebbe, the same thing. It's just a matter of when. Had Alter Rebbe been Derashvi, he would have said, now's the time. Then it wasn't yet the time. So it's a fascinating take on the whole picture. And that's the answer, that we do have. Teirech Siddhis now has the power to transform the freedoms, even the godless freedoms that some use in, God, in ways that are not godly. To transform even that, we have that power. As we see Shluchim going all over in the Western world, in the Eastern world as well, to bring Teirech Siddhis. And now it's without limitations. You don't have that concern and fear. Is there still a challenge? Of course there is. But we also have the strength to deal with it. That's the underlying point. Okay. If following up this, another good, interesting question. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I was reading one of the Mechtavim Klolim. It's one of the public letters that Rebbe wrote for the 24th of Tavis. And the Rebbe writes that in some respects the trials of the previous Rebbe faced in America, the trials the previous Rebbe faced in America were even more difficult than those he faced in Russia. Can you please elaborate on this? How is it America, a land of freedom, would present more difficulties than Russia, a land where the previous Rebbe faced the challenges 24-7? The letter is from the 24th of Tavis, 5743. Thanks. The brief answer is this. Though it's true, as I just mentioned, America came freedom with her God, and God we trust, the fundamentals of the Declaration of Independence, that the Creator, all people created equal, have inalienable rights endowed to us by the Creator. But the more freedom you have, the more comfort you have. You also have the possibility of what we call Evdin Ba'aretz Ashur, as the Rebbe discusses at length in many places. The last moment he gave out the Atat Tetzava Memalaf, the Sikhs that followed the Six Day War in Tavshin Chavzayin and Tavshin Chavches, 67, 68, that in Be'eretz Mitzrayim, it's Nedoch in Be'eretz Mitzrayim. You're only pushed aside. You're trotted upon. You're oppressed. Mitzrayim is the goddess of poverty, of slavery, of impoverishment. But Eretz Asher, Asher is prosperity, comforts. And there, Oivdim, we get lost. The apathy it creates has a certain element that's far harder to deal with because the enemy then is within. The Friedrich Rebbe in Russia was dealing with an enemy without. The, Bolshevik, the Bolsheviks, the communists, Stalin, the Evsexia, true enemies, just like the Nazis in Machshimom enemies. So it's terrible. But like in that time of the Alter Rebbe, that was an enemy without. Prosperity brings a different type of enemy within. 
Everything's comfortable. No one's coming to arrest you. You could send your children to Jewish schools and look what happens. People become apathetic. That's what happens. When you're pressured and you're oppressed, it crystallizes what you stand for. You have to fight for it. You can't take it for granted. So no one's suggesting turning the clock back. But it's a different type of challenge. But as the Rebbe said, today we can deal with that challenge. In the time of 1812, we couldn't deal with it. Now we could. And we must. So that's the answer to that question. Moving on with some more things of Chavdal Latavis related. Let's continue. What did the Alter Rebbe teach us about the power of song? The Alter Rebbe once replied to Chassidim who complained that they had a difficult time understanding the concepts in the tiny, that in order to understand the tiny better, they needed music. And then the Alter Rebbe taught, te- taught ten songs to the Chassidim. Can Rabbi Jacobson please explain the correlation between Chassidus and music? Thank you. So that's indeed the story. With a little, uh, be more precise. The Sikha is in the second day of Pesach, Tovshin Dalad. That would be 1944. It's printed in the Sefer Tovshin Dalad. With the Friedrich Rebbe says that the Chassidim and the manuscripts of Tiny started being distributed, they were learning it. And then the next year they came to the Alter Rebbe and they said they don't understand Tanya. The Alter Rebbe said, You don't take half a thing. What's the other half? Megina. Melody. Song. Half. Now of course that doesn't mean singing Tanya with a sing song. It means the hergish, the feeling. Song is kol mesalev, the quill of the heart, of the soul. So it's not just learning the ideas academically, cognitively, but feeling the nigan in it, personalizing it, resonating. And that's why nigan is such a prominent, plays such a prominent role in chassidus. There's teres chassidus and nigunim chassidus. He doesn't bring there about the ten nigunim, but you could connect it because Alter Rebbe did compose nigunim, and perhaps it's part of that because part of the reason because part of the Avedah, half, half the story. But in general, Nigin, all Nigin, and that's why Chesidosh Nigunim is such a vital component, you sing a Nigin, it has a dimension that is beyond just the words, and helps you appreciate the words like a Nigin, like Nigin. Just as an aside, and maybe you could help understand this, the Ragat Shover, in his uh, explanation of the story of Cheta Ego, and after that, the second Luchas writes an interesting thing. He said, if there was no Chet Egel, and we only had the first tablets, all the Eden, not just Levim, would be Meshedadim. They'd all be composers. Because everyone would know Taimei Teda. When you'd read Teda, you, you would see, hear the song. Because of the Chet Egel, it concealed the song of Teda, so it's words. And it's the Levim that bring the song out and teach us all the, the real Nigan. The Shira. Taimei Teir. doesn't just mean the reasons. It also means the taste, the flavor. And that's why the Taimei the secrets of Teir, are all part of that Nigan and song. Nigan reveals the deeper part. Like the Seder Sater. And that's why it expresses a dimension that words alone don't always capture. But the point is, you really want to read and learn Teir like a Nigan. 
Imagine reading every word and feeling the song of it, resonating like a song, not just like words, but the words are singing to you, like a mother that sings to a child, like we sing to each other, a nigan that transports us to another time and place, the words of the Alter Rebbe, the Bali Lula of this week. That in Shama, the only way you can travel is through a nigan. To climb the steps, you need to sing a nigan. Physical movement, the body moves with legs, vehicles, and so on. The soul must have a nigan. It is the only thing that touches, the hazazah that touches us and moves us. You can feel, I've been moved by the song. You can walk miles and miles. You could have millions of frequent flyer miles and not move. Spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, a nigan moves you. So all that is part of what chassidus is meant to be, to take us from here to here, spiritually elevate us to a higher state of consciousness, higher states of awareness, just generally feeling and experiencing and tasting elokus, godliness. That's why the story in the Alter went to Shklov, and he gave a big drasha, made a drasha, and pilpul, and still felt he didn't get everybody. So that's when he sang the nigan. Tamaru kiteva vaya, fazuchtuzet, as the Rebishter is good, as the Rebbe sang and repeated, Purim Tov Shechai. And with the nigan, they say thousands, hundreds, I think is the expression, hundreds of people followed him. Something in the nigan, which is also the token of Tamaru, you have to taste it, not just learn it, not just know it, but experience it. Which leads to the next. In Sefer HaSichas Tov Shemvav 5706, page 39, it is written that the Tzemach Tzedek once explained that one of the reasons that a Fabrengen and even a Chassidish story doesn't inspire a person to improve himself is that the person is too coarse to receive inspiration. However, the Alter Rebbe gave us a remedy to cleanse ourselves from the clippus, the shells, the husks that cling, that cling to us and to make ourselves into a proper vessel. And what is it that he gave us? That is through singing an egan. Perhaps you can explain this in your chassidus question, part of your talk, and also perhaps every Sunday you can, somewhere in the middle of your talk, sing for a short time an egan and explain its significance to chassidus applied. Okay, so I just explained what the significance of the nigan, and this sikh just supports it even more. And that's one of the big chidushim. Now, in always sang, back, he said, Mesherim, the Levim. Nagina goes all the way back to the beginning of when was given. But nevertheless, with Chsidis, which came to reveal the deeper inner soul dimension, what's a soul? It's not just the ideas or the words. It's the neshama, and Negan brings that out. So it's hand in hand with what Chsidis is. Chsidis is meant to reveal the neshama, not just for men to give us, Kavyachal, so to speak, a scientific anatomy of the soul. It also teaches us what the dynamics of the soul and the cosmos and God and all the worlds and so on are about. But it's meant to give us an inner picture, a snapshot, an experience of the inner world. And that's much more than just the ideas. It's that feeling that comes with the Gina, as we just read. So yes, from time to time I do try to sing a Nigan. I'm not going to do that today. First of all, I'm a bit hoarse, as you can tell. Not, I'm no cold. It's just I was speaking over Shabbos for a long time, so my voice went a bit. 
Um, but there's no question it's worthwhile seeing a Negan. And <laughs> if I feel up to it, maybe I will. But uh, for now, let's be yetzer to talk about it at least. Kola esig betedes nigina, like you say about the kola esig betedes eila. When you talk about a nigan, in a way it creates it. But we all know it's not like the nigan itself, obviously. Okay, so that adds a little more dimension to the whole uh, nigina part. What is a chiddush of the Alter Rebbe that can help us daven better so that our prayers are answered positively? By the Ebishter, by God. So I think we just said it. One of the chidushim is the power of Nigina. Again, davening, we have chazonim, we have Nigina, chazonis, over the generations. But the Alter Rebbe added another dimension, as we know from Chassidim Shemigunim. And that's why you see the Chassidim saying Anigin when they davened. Feel that one of the names for prayer is Shira, is song. Because song is service of God. Tefillah is Aveda Shabalev, service of the heart. So the mind, Teira, is you're using Chachma Bina Das. Nigina, you're using Chasid, Gvurit, Teferis, Netzachet, Yusayd, Malchus, the emotions. And a Nigan is synonymous with that. So that's why you have Chsidim would sing a Nigan when they would daven for hours. You have Rebbe Shinigunim, the Rebbeim, that some of the tone tunes we know they sang. Some of it is a Nigan Vishtatchus, that it's a Machzadik sang at the oil of the Alter Rebbe. Another such, uh, such song sung in connection with special moments by all the major Fabrengans, especially Rosh Hashanah, but other major Fabrengans, the Rebbe would say to sing the Nigunim of each Rebbe. And Nigan captures, in addition to his Torah, Another dimension of his neshama. The Rabbeim composed Nugunim. Some had favorite Nugunim. That's not necessarily composed. Al-Tareb, of course, composed the Ten Nugunim. So the Al-Tareb is one of the Chidushim was the power of Nikina, like he said about the Tanya. And of course, in Davening, like the Tzamech Tzadik said, that the David of a person, to make yourself a Kali is through Nigin, through a Nigin. It edels ace. It refines a person. It melts away some of that coarseness, some of that crassness that we often experience. It can take you to another, transport you to another time and place. The challenge is how to maintain it, how to maintain that inspiration. So proper davening with real Aveda, with real Kavana, with real Nigina, definitely has the power to become something that has staying power. But it's always Aveda, and breaking the Tanigan from time to time can't hurt, can only help. Another Chiddush you could say about the Alter Rebbe, about Avening, I mean, in Tanya he talks many different things about how this Mispavl and the Kavona that's needed, the different parts of Davening. But generally speaking, what you learn in Tanya is something that's already stated in Shulchan Aruch and, and Chazal, the idea of focus. But nevertheless, the, Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe's emphasis on focus, the Moich Shal Talalev, that creating the space in Pedicun Bays in Tanya and then later, creating the space, putting everything else aside, and just connecting. Tefillah Meloshin, Naftuli, the Russian Tefil, Klecheres, bonding, connecting, emotionally connecting to something greater than yourself, which is Hashem. So Tefillah Bichlal is Bakoshes Tzrachev, that's Api Alochev, Api Daraisa, when you need something to ask God. Then the Chazal added different parts of Tefillah, which include Hedah, 
thanking and um, and so on. Al-Tarebbe added the emphasis on that focus on that his Bonunus and his Beidadus ultra focus putting everything else aside and just focusing on the connection that you're having with Hashem nothing else but you and the Ebishter. Okay. For someone that wants to study Tanya in English, what's the best way to study Tanya in English? Can you please list the various translations and guide us on the different styles of each one and what each translation offers? Thanks. I spoke about this a few weeks ago, if I recall. Someone asked me, because I teach Tanya every Mitzray Shabbos. Let me use this as an announcement for that. Every Saturday night, Eastern Time, 10 p.m., so the time that Rabbi Weinberg would teach Tanya in Yiddish, and the Rebbe would listen to it. Every week, they would bring a radio, and the Rebbe would listen to it. The Rebbe edited all those Tanya shiurim. We have all the Rebbe's edits on the whole Tanya. It took him, I think, uh, a good uh, 24 years to finish the whole Tanya. I think he started Tavshin Chav, and I believe concluded in Tavshin Mem, Bayes maybe, Mem Gimel, I'm not sure exactly, but something like that. So every Mitzray Shabbos, I teach it in English, 10 to 10.30. You can find it on radio in New York area. But you also can find it online at chassidahsupply.com and many other platforms, podcasts and so on. Um, what I do when I teach it, I try to bring together all the commentaries that I have available, starting with the Rebbe's own notes and his tiny Mavuetis. And then there's English translations. There's the English translations of lessons in Tanya, which is Shiyuri Masefer Tanya that Rabbi Weinberg taught the weeks he didn't teach, Rabbi Katz would teach. And that's been translated into English lessons in Tanya. You can find it online. There are some other English translations. And I don't really can tell you what it I mean. Each one has their style. Each one has something that contributes. I'm not here to give an endorsement to any of them because they're all doing a good job. They're translating as good as one can translate. Some elaborate more. Some focus on themes. Some go through the actual text. So I would just suggest to look up translations of Tanya online, see what's out there, and try out. The best is always tamaru'u, taste and see. Taste it and see which one speaks to you, which one you can follow along easiest and learn with it. I try to look at all of them, especially the Hebrew ones with the commentaries from the different Chassidim. There was the Mitla Rebbe's Chassid, Rav Kadainet. There's a, a, a from, from Grenum. And there's from other Chassidim that they wrote commentaries. I try to look at them all. And today we have plenty to look at. Um, but I don't know if you're going to have the time to do that. So I would suggest looking at one or two of these. I would start with lessons in Tanya and see if it works well. If it works well, great. And what better time to do so? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, on Sunday you replied to a question. This is a question a while ago, but it can be any Sunday. Asking why we don't sing the Alter Rebbe's song every day, but instead keep it for special occasions. And you made the comparison to Gemara Shabbos, yeah, 128b, that says if someone says howl every day, it's like blasphemy and cursing God. If that's the case, why do we daven every day? Since davening is filled with praises of God. 
I believe I discussed this also, but you know, let me just briefly respond. We're always praising God. I'll call Neshima Neshima Tahal says the Medish. And every breath we praise God. But Halal has a particular unique prayer. And there are times in the year when we appreciate that. Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuos, all the young table when we say Halal, Chetzi Halal. That's not to take away from praising God every day. But that special prayer, if you start saying it every day, it starts becoming losing its power, its uniqueness. If someone does a very special favor for you, you say a special thank you. Doesn't mean you shouldn't say thank you other times. But if you start saying thank you all the time, it loses some of that uniqueness. That's the point in the Gemara. The Alter Rebbe's Negan is a very sacred song that was sung by a chuppah, by the special days like Yutas Kislev and the Yom Tevim, special occasions. And the Rebbe was the one that usually designated when that special occasion is. This doesn't mean we don't find God other days of the year. But why don't you celebrate Yom Kippur every day of the year? Achaz Bashana, why only once a year? Every day you can connect to the Holy of Holies. We all have Yechidah Shabbat God is, is always with us. But we also understand that God also godliness manifests in different layers. And there's a special day in the year, once a year, Hashem says, then the doors are open. That's what makes it unique. You want to draw from that into the rest of the year. So it's a central concept in general that there are special moments, Shabbos, but not every day of the week is Shabbos. But we still draw from Shabbos into the days of the week. We make Havdalah. But Abdullah, as the Rebbe explains, separates but also connects. When you recognize that Shabbos' holiness is greater than the holiness of the other days, then you can draw from it into the other days. So that's the bottom line, that we live in a world of Ischalkus, a world of, of death, many details and many different levels, and we have to respect those boundaries as well. Not just everything is one thing. You respect the uniqueness of moments, uniqueness of days, uniqueness of events. You make a birchus hanissim when a miracle happened to you in a certain place. But you could say every second is a miracle, says the Balshant. Chacham Tzvi says similar. Every second is a miracle. Every second we're alive. But there's a miracle that's revealed, and there's a miracle that's concealed in Teva. And that needs to be also respected. Okay. With that, since we've been talking about davening and Igina, Naltareb's contributions. So I want to read a letter from someone because there were times throughout this series Tfil is such a foundational element in in Chsidis. So in life, my life Chsidis applied as well. So there have been different times I've spoken a lot of questions and discussion. What is davening? How to daven? Many questions that came in. So from time to time, I go back and there's a lot of... There, I have actually a whole maybe 30 questions on this topic alone. I'll try to cover maybe a few of them today and the rest in coming weeks. But here's one that really was very interesting, a letter that someone wrote. So I thought it's very fitting to our discussion that we're having right now. How to pray. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, a year or so ago, you started to speak about davening, how to daven. You said something like standing there and emoting. Yes, Ezra Veda Shabbat Lev, Zuhit what is service of the heart? Prayers. I spoke about emoting. Emoting as an emotional expression. I didn't know what you meant at all. 
How a morning fits into saying all those words of davening over and over each day. I wrote to you then asking how I as a mother can make davening meaningful when there are so many responsibilities, so many responsibilities clouding my mind and my attention needed by children throughout the day, etc. You answered me then a beautiful answer of encouragement, which I so much appreciated, but couldn't solve my issue. I am following up to say that I finally understand. I wrote this short piece about my journey in understanding, and I would like to share it with you anonymously. Because I've been watching your classes for quite a few years now, and they've been a guiding light for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Whether or not to share it publicly on your program, I'll leave to your discretion. If you think it might help other people, you may, but I'm satisfied enough to know you yourself have read it. I don't think most people will understand it, but I know you will. This is what I wrote up. For many years, I lived like a robot. Early in childhood, I shut down my emotions, numb thoroughly inside and out, so that nothing could hurt me or penetrate the stone inside me. Not angry yelling, not mockery or criticism, not insults or even compliments. I did not know what it meant to feel. I was a good girl, of course, like a robot would be, living on autopilot, doing what I was supposed to, getting good grades in school. Davening was so boring, though. To say the same words again and again, I couldn't bear it. How could I not daven, though, if I was who people assumed I was? I tried to skip davening whenever I could get away with it. I finished high school, Sam even got married, while frozen inside. As if I was acting out someone else's life. I made all decisions in my head, logically no emotions involved. It came time to raise a family, all logical decisions because it was the right thing to do, so it had to be done. But then my kids showed me I needed better tips and tricks to raise them properly. I needed to listen to them when they spoke, to patiently analyze their reasoning. I needed to validate their feelings and hug them securely. What are feelings? I didn't know. So I learned to identify emotions in my children, in my children from their stories, cries, and body language. I found myself suddenly identifying emotions inside myself. Robots don't carry emotions very well. I had to get really good at it, to catch the feeling before it slipped away embedding itself into the rock inside me where I would never find it again. My children growing quickly, I, I learned to create a shared space between us, which they can step into when they need me. An intimate one, an intimate one-on-one -on -one space where I listen, validate, question, compliment, discuss, and reflect with them. I didn't know that this is essentially what a mother does. I learned from a few rare special women who sat with me and created that shared space with me where I matter without doubt, not once or twice, but for many hours, that turned slowly but swiftly into years. Into years. I suddenly realized that I'm no longer a robot. I don't have a huge boulder inside me where my heart belongs. I no longer run on autopilot, and I no longer manage as efficiently and as perfectly as I once did. I need to daven. I need to catch the davening opportunities that arrive every single day to say the words prescribed for us as those are the right words to send, us to Hashem, send up to Hashem. But the words, I still know them by heart, mindlessly, but I think I figured it out. I finally learned. I need to first create a space, an intimate shared space, 
an intimate shared space for only him and little me, where I can talk and daven and think, and he listens. Where I'm important, even though I'm just a creation of the Creator, he gives me that gift, that, in, that intimate shared space for just us two, and his willingness to hear me once again. Thank you again, Rabbi Jacobson. Kol Tuv, may Hashem bench you with good health. Arich Hashem, and lots of koyach to keep doing what you do so well. It speaks for itself, and uh, I appreciate, even though this letter came in a while ago, but finally it's seen the time, has come the time for it to see the light of day and be able to read it to all of you, and I feel good about doing that. Okay. Since we're again talking about Al-Tarebbe's contributions, here's another very interesting letter that came in. And these are all emails that are submitted through our anonymous forum at chassidusupply.com. So here the question is, how, why not develop a Hasidus-based psychology? So the writer writes, Bravo on the psychology of tomorrow. This is referring to a class that I give. I mentioned a number of times that in addition to this Sunday night program, I do uh, almost 14 programs every week, including a daily IMBase class, but also Wednesday night, a more universal language-oriented class. And I did the topic of the psychology of tomorrow actually to honor the Alta Rebbe's Yutas Kislev. So this person is writing, Bravo on the psychology of tomorrow. I believe one of the most important and empowering points of the Alta Rebbe psychology, quote-unquote, is the concept of Mayach Shalit Alalev, at self-control. The concept of taught as a part of an overall supportive therapy would free thousands from their addictions, which exist in part because they believe they are helpless to rule over their desires. I'm not talking about chemical, chemical addictions, addictions such as to heroin and, heroin and other substances that makes the body dependent on the drug, but for example, about so-called behavior such as sexual addiction, which is really a fad which I believe started among males who engage in inappropriate behavior, some of whom pursue numerous encounters per day as part of their so-called addiction, which they say dominates them and makes them helpless to control themselves. The mind ruling the heart, self-control, is the empowering solution to such self-indulgent helplessness, which is unfortunately supported by some traditional therapists. Rabbi, is it possible that, that what is needed is to develop a private school of Tanya therapists who will earn a certificate in Tanya therapy, which will enable them to see and listen to clients one-on-one -on -one in traditional therapist social as as, to, as traditional therapist social workers do, and teach their clients the principles of mental spiritual health according to the Alter Rebbe. Would you be willing to develop such a program that would offer a Tanya therapist certi certification? Certification, of course. To be accepted into the program, students would first have to be tested and demonstrate a thorough knowledge of Tanya, a professional level of expertise. Perhaps after earning a certain number of credits by attending courses that you would provide, they would earn their certification. Wouldn't such a program be the ultimate materialization of your dream, as I've heard you express it in various talks you've given? You can certify many Tanya scholars as Tanya therapists and validate their expertise with the certificate. This would be helpful to so many clients seeking therapy and guidance for life issues and would provide a parnasa for tiny scholars as well. 
I would like to be certified as a Tanya therapist, so please let me know when you open your program. I've been learning Tanya over and over since 1997, when I first started studying it in my rabbi's classes. Since July 2020, I've been giving Tanya classes for women on Zoom with my rabbi's blessing, and have many recordings of the classes. Sincerely. Very interesting. I uh, commend you for that. Absolutely great idea. Definitely aligned with my thinking. I think it probably needs to be a, a team effort, but I will uh, this, I'll only see this as more support to the ideas yes, that I have shared many times, that the psychology for tomorrow is chassidus that can transform this entire world, Jewish and not Jewish, with its Torah-based and unprecedented clarity into the psyche and all the methods necessary to live the healthiest possible life that is emotional, psychological, and spiritual life, aligned with God's wishes and mission that he's given each of us in this world. Okay. Let us go with the time we have. Oh, a lot of stuff to address still. Wow. Okay. Let's go to Pasha Ve'era. I want to miss that. And then we'll see what we have time-wise. So Pasha Ve'era is, of course, the second chapter in the book of Shemais in the Sefer HaGu'ul, in the words of the Ramban, but now we're getting into the throes of the abyss, the darkest, darkest part. It'll still get darker as we go before it gets brighter. Next week's Pasha, the last of the th- plagues. But then, in the same chapter, next week, that is in Boi, is the redemption. It's Mitzrayim, Yitzis Mitzrayim. But Ve'era is, con- 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 continues from what, le- what Shemais left off, where we know Hashem is saying to Moshe, how could you speak that way to me? Where Hashem, when Moshe points an accusing finger at God and says, Lama hazeh. Why are you doing evil to these people? And Hashem says, no one ever did that. The Ovis never said that to me. And you think Moshe would be punished. Instead, we open up Pasha Ve'era. And what happens? Hashem says, Ve'era. I revealed myself, Allah Ovis. But I only revealed to them Kel Shaddai, how I manifest in Kel Shaddai, which is a divine name, a powerful name, but Shaddai is a limit. It's how God, man, godliness manifests in the limited parameters of existence. But Shmi Havaya, Shmi Havaya, my name of Havaya, the Tetragrammaton, the Yud Kevovke, the Shema Mephedish, the Shema Etzem, the Shema Meyuchad, that I never revealed to them. But you I will reveal it to. And the simple reason is because you're living in a darkness. You need to redeem these Jews from a place that they've never been to. And for that, you need bigger strength, greater strength. In a way, it's similar again to the theme of Yitzvat, Boslegani. You're now going where godliness is found even in the darkest moments of Eris Oretz of Pare. So where do we have the strength to deal with it? Continues the Maimer, the Eitzir. The Eitzir is the treasures that the King God has never revealed to anyone. Helam Achen Helam, the deepest levels, have the power to come to the lowest levels and transform it. Shmi Havai, much higher than Shkel Shaddai. Just Chassidus asked the question, what do you mean? Shem Havai was revealed also. We find Havai in Sefer Bereshis. So it says that's Havai de Latato. A lower level of Avai. 
the ultimate, was revealed to Moshe. So the first question, what is the difference between God's name of Kel Shaddai and Yud Kei And what advantage did Moshe have over the others that Hashem revealed the name Yud Kei to Moshe, but not to the others? So I just answered that. The others also had challenges. But remember, it was a different situation. It wasn't the darkness of the dark. It wasn't Pare Tanin HaGadol, the great serpent, the root of all Klippas, the Keser of Klippa, of darkness. Who said, as the Mimer says in chapter 13 in Mosulagani, I created myself, I don't need any God. I'm God. That's what Moshe was contending with. To the point that the Zoyer says in next week's chapter, why it says, Boyal Pari, come to Pari, because Moshe was afraid, terrified, he trembled to get him to come into Idrin, Basar Idrin, into the inner chambers of this type of toxic energy. And Shesh says, Come with me, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with the deepest strengths. I'm giving you the Helamach, the Helamach and Helam, the deepest powers that I've never shown anyone. What? To redeem the Jews from Israel. To bring out, to transform the darkest of the dark. That even there you can make a Dira B'Tachtenim. That's what was revealed with Havai. Okay, that's addresses the opening of the Pasha. But a few more questions. And afterwards, Abraham tells Maishad Rabbeinu that he's going to redeem the Eden and he uses four expressions. So the question is, what was important in history for Hashem to use four different expressions of redemption? Wouldn't have been enough if Hashem used just one expression. For example, by saying, I will take you out of slavery of Egypt. But we know there's Vitsalti and Vugalti. We have all the four Lashenas. And then there's the fifth Lash. And then, and, and then fulfill the expression by actually taking us out of safety. Why, what is the deeper meaning here in the four expressions? Another person asks, does Chassidus teach that the four expressions of Gula correspond to the four worlds, Atzilus, Bri, Yitzir, and Asiyah? So one question answers the next. Absolutely. And there's a fifth expression. It says in, it says in Chazal, Gemara, and cited, of course, in the Haggadah of Pesach, that the four cups of wine that we drink, by the say they correspond to these four, and the Kais Chamishi, sometimes called the fifth cup, the Kais Valaliyo, in many people's opinion, is the fifth expression. So it corresponds to the fourth world and the Eil Mesein Sof, which is like another dimension. Why? Because Gaul is not just get out of Golis, it's to get out of all dimensions of Golis. Golis can manifest itself in our behavioral, in Nefesh, it can manifest in Ruach, in our emotions. It can manifest in our intellect. It can block us. Mitzrayim, from the word Mitzrayim, which is constraints and inhibitions, can be behaviorally, can be emotionally, can be intellectually. That's Neshama. That corresponds Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama is Asiyah, Yitzirah, and Briya. And then it can affect Tatsilas within us, which is not the cognitive, it's the Chaya, the transcendent part of us. Yechida remains removed. That's why it's not one of those four. Yechid is already Yechid connecting, becoming one with the divine. So, Gaulus Mitzrayim has to be in all levels. And each expression addresses another component. Some people, for example, their minds are pretty much free, but their behavior is very trapped. Some people, the opposite. The behavior is fine, but in their minds they're not. 
Same thing emotionally. Can be blocked. So Gula is on all levels. And finally, the spiritual level of Atsilus. The Maral says when the Eden left Mitzrayim, it wasn't just leaving prison. Forever they would become now a new category, Bnei Chedin. You're my servants, you're not servants to my servants. You never again will serve psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, behaviorally, cognitively. You'll never serve anything, men or man-made things. Only God. So it's a freedom on all levels, taking and consuming and saturating us from head to toe, and also all our faculties from through Yitzira, I'm sorry, see Yitzira, Bria, Atzilus, and even the highest, highest levels. The final level, as I said, is in Gdusha itself to become one, Yechida Leyachdecha, the Nitzutz, cotton that becomes one with the Nitzutz Beira, the language of Yitzchayim, that's cited in Basilegani as well, the Rebbe brings in a footnote in the beginning, close to the beginning of the Hemshech. Okay. Everything in the Torah is a lesson for us in our daily lives to learn from and emulate. So what is the lesson from the ten plagues? Is it okay to take revenge on our enemies when they don't do what, they, what we want? If an unscrupulous tow truck, the, the driver, illegally tows our car and holds it for ransom, and we say, let our car go, and he refuses, can we dump truckloads of frogs in his garage? Okay, very cute. If a principal in our school treats us unfairly, can we remove all the light bulbs in his office and cause them to sit in darkness? If a racist police officer arrests someone improperly, can we take handfuls of soot soot from a furnace and throw it in the air and cause all the police officers to get boils all over their bodies? I know it's not meant to be humorous, but uh, I appreciate your poetic flourish. Well, no, let's make this very clear. The ten plagues was a thing that God sent on Egypt. Now, it's not our job to send plagues on anybody. Plagues was a cause and effect. In Kabbalah, it talks about why each plague attacked another clipper of Mitzrayim. Different Svarim, it talks about how it attacked. Eish, Ruach, Mayim, Ofer. And also you said, you said, the, 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 of all the four elements, the Rebbe has a Sikhabar, that's why you have the two opinions. Every Maka was made up of four Makas or five Makas. That's not our job, is to, in any way, physically. What we learned from it, the first lesson, that is cause and effect. The first plague was what? The River Nile turned into blood. The River Nile was their God. Because it didn't rain, so the River Nile irrigated their fields. So the first thing that God attacked is the root of their klippa, the root of their toxins, self-worship. And why blood? Because blood is life. But blood is not something that can irrigate fields. And the same with all the plagues. They all have spiritual, psychological, emotional significance. No, it's not for us to plague anyone. God does what he understands it best. It's for us to learn that everything we do has cause and effect. And if you do something wrong, there will be an effect. You put your hand in fire, it'll get burned. There will be a plague, but it's not a plague in the technical sense of the word, it's cause and effect. Are there other lessons? There are definitely other lessons, but not this literal one, that we are going to do something to other people. 
someone does something wrong to you, the Torah tells us what to do. Either if it's important, you can confront them, take them to Adin Torah if you think it's something like that. We don't do vengeance. We're definitely not vigilantes. Lynch mobs, obviously, is a Torah that tells us how to find justice if need be. Or some things you can ignore that are not that significant. And you move on, pending case by case, talk to your mashpia, talk to Arov, and that's how we deal with it. Okay. But it's always entertaining and amusing, so thank you for that. In Hayyem Yem this week, that's Beishvat, it talks about the Hasidic discourse. Well, it's not this week, it's going to be next week. But it talks about a Hasidic discourse of this week, of Ra'era, called the Frum of Ra'era. What is it about and how did it get that name and how was it always new and fresh like it says there in Hayyem Yem? Okay. So let's read Hayyem Yem so everyone knows what we're talking about. Beishvat. So I'll just translate it. It's in, it's in Hebrew Yiddish. Fidik Rebbe says that my father said, once related, that the Maimah that begins with Eira, and that's a Maimah that Alta Rebbe said in Tov Kuf Nun Dalet, it's a long time, an early Maimah, a very early Maimah, which explains the Inyan of La Yidach Mimenu Nidach, that no Jew will ultimately remain estranged from God, came to be known as the Frumer Ve'era. The pious Ve'era. Frumer means, I don't like the word religious, the, the pious Ve'era. The Alta Rebbe would deliver this Maimer publicly every three years, repeating it each time almost verbatim. But nevertheless, Tzamech Tzadik said, every time there was a new light. And the Rebbe Marash explained, the Rebbe Rashab says, my father, the Rebbe Marash explained, Oyer is always the same, light is the same. But the source of her, the luminary, is always like something new. So every time he said it, there was some new nuance, a new dimension, a new expression. Now, this mimer is printed, but as the Rebbe says in Tere Eir, but Tere Eir, not the regular Tere Eir, Tere Eir Lemberg. So it's actually, I'm looking now at Eira Tere, is a mimer that Samach Sadiq said the mimer, wrote the mimer with his gloss, and the Rebbe writes, this is the Mimer printed in the year Tere, which means in the year Tafrei Shur Aleph, time of the Samach Tzedek, whose name is the Frumim Ve'era, and he refers us to look in the Sikhs of the Rebbe Rashab, Tere Sholem. So that's printed. The Rebbe himself has this Mimer with his editions twice, Tafshin Yud Beis, 1952, and Tafshin Chavov in 1966. Now, what does he say in Tehra Shalom? Let's read Tehra Shalom. Very interesting. So I'm reading Tehra Shalom, page 86. It's a sikha from Tofre Samach Zayin, the night of Pasha Ve'era. So he's basically saying that when the Alter Rebbe wrote Tanya, whatever the Alter Rebbe, the Rebbe wrote, he lived it. Whatever was going on at the time, completely experienced it. When he wrote a sefer, he says, in Be'ezi'in Madrege, she'isasibik sivosi keno yimayim edematsam nafsheh. It wasn't just writing. His whole spirit was completely immersed in that state of mind that he was writing about. Then he says like this. Like, for example, when he was busy being besimcha, he was writing about simcha. That means he himself was in a very joyous place. Then he says, 
heint vosets chabgetam beez the Rebbe had gezog the Maimed Drush veEira. What transpired when the Alter Rebbe said the Maimed Drush veEira, the one we're talking about, the Frum veEira? He says, we talks about kelo yidach nemen yidach. We talks about a person that none but nobody is perfect, and therefore you have to find ways to correct your ways. And ultimately, everyone no one will be forsaken, no one will be lost. It had to be some awesome experience during the time when Alta Rebbe said it. I don't envy. Those that were there at the time when this Dibur, when the, when this uh, discourse was said, Hadrusha Zehu. He writes that I have this discourse in the, in the handwriting of my uncle, the Mariel. He calls him the Feta Lebala. That was Alter Rebbe's brother. Mariel, no. Mariel is the, I'm sorry, is the uncle of the Rebbe Rashab, the brother of the Rebbe Marash. I think there's a Hanoche from the Alter Rebbe's brother that was printed later, which is which of the Maimer. And it has the Tikkunim, there are some lines from the Ksaviat Kedish of the Alter Rebbe himself. He says, a bezer chsidis. It's hard to explain. Bezer would mean angry, but it really means a very strong chsidis. Gor meiridik. That awesome. Gor. Very unbelievable. Meire is also an element of a frumkeit. That means frum as in pious, not as in devout, or devout very intense maimer. So that's part of the history of it. And when you learn it, you can see, now that you have what we have these expressions, you can see why. Because it talks about that never, not everybody's complete. The Golas that we're in, that's the central theme, but how you get out of it. Everyone through there, as he says. So that's the story of the Frum of Eira. I, now that I'm speaking about it, 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 um, it, I think I remember talking about this once a while back in the, my life of the supply. Okay. The idea that every time when he said it was like new, I mean, kol all teiras always should be new. But it seems like because this was such an intense mime that that's why he says every few years was to refine the world, to refine the avir, that it could be that the fact that newness meant that even though it was the same Aymer, but it had that new energy, revitalized energy to be able to address all the challenges each time he said it. That's be my speculation. Okay. I'll conclude with one more question, and then we will end this program. Expanding 770. Why are the plans to expand 770 deemed controversial by some in the community? The Rebel Aider Foundation cornerstone many years ago, in 1988 to be exact, so it's clear the Rebbe supported the idea of an expansion. Even if, the Rebbe, even if the Rebbe didn't put a cornerstone, his many years of teachings always had the theme of growing, expanding, building bigger and more, and never being satisfied with one's accomplishments, and always striving to do more. To me, it's very obvious that it's a good idea to expand. It's already crowded in there now, in 770, so imagine after Mashiach comes how much more crowded it will be. So it makes sense to do the expansion right away so we can be ready because Mashiach is coming right away. I don't know if, uh, if anyone considers it controversial. If they do, let them explain. I, don't, I have no idea why they think it's controversial. Some may be skeptical whether you could get it done because, unfortunately, all the different parties involved haven't gotten done till now. And uh, it seems like it's like somewhat frozen. 
But if somebody can pull it off and get everybody involved in a peaceful and harmonious way, I don't see why anybody would suggest that it's a problem. The Rebbe never said not to do it. He actually encouraged to do it, and there were plans. The Rebbe gave many instructions of how to do it. As long as you follow the Rebbe's instructions to the letter, and it's done in a peaceful way, by all means. Uh, the question is, again, is it possible to pull it off? I don't know all the factors. I don't know all the parties. I don't know all the interests. I don't know if there are conflicts or whatever it may be. So that's all I have to say, and I'm happy to use this platform to talk about it. If somebody wants to address it more in detail, I'm happy to read or hear what you have to say. And may it be expanded based on Ben Shabbat Bovel and to be able to handle all the people that come, which are quite many. And it should be a perfect keli when Mashiach comes, that it should be in the most expansive possible way when all the better can see us and everything will go to Eretz Yisrael. And with that, let's conclude this program. My life is supplied. Episode 433. Everyone have a very, very blessed week. May the day of the Alter Rebbe serve as Pail Yeshua's Beket of Aretz, each one of us in our personal lives, but that all the channels should, uh, should, a blessing should be open and showered upon you in a healthy way. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Call Tuv and be well. This program is brought to you by My Life. Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.